you may also like. A show about the things you may also like. Things like Ayurvedic healing. The world of Ayurveda is mysterious, but it doesn't need to be. It also works. For instance, have you ever taken a dosha quiz? Do you have any yoga in your life? Have you ever used anything natural to heal a wound? Angelica Neri is a healer's healer. She's a kundalini yoga instructor, reiki master, meditation and vedic astrologer. That's the one where you can see the map of your karma. Angelica Neri is the founder of the Divine Feminine Healers Academy, and she answers my most curious question first. What's with all the flying monkeys? Well, I'm so happy that you read that blog. I'm very artistic, I guess you could say, when I write things. I think also in the spiritual world, people are very like lofty and have these main ideas. But I like using metaphors because I think it's really helpful for people to understand. But I really likened that specific blog to flying monkeys as a lot of the limiting beliefs that we have, just in general. And I think that probably came from a lot of my studies with Vedic knowledge which is a science that originated in India and it's related to yoga and Ayurveda. And we talk about the monkey mind a lot of how a lot of gurus and teachers will say that that's just naturally how the human brain works. It's going to go in a lot of different directions and you're going to follow the self-doubt. You're going to follow the lack of trust. You're going to follow the resentment, the jealousy, all these different things that we get pulled in directions into. And it's really about coming back to your center and in spirituality and in peace. So you can really navigate through that and realize that that's just a part of how the human brain works. And there's so many resources and how you can empower yourself to not be in the monkey mind. What came first for you? Was it Ayurveda? Was it yoga? What came first? Definitely yoga. And I think for a lot of healers too, they'll say, but there was those inclinations and passions that you started to see even as a kid. Like as a kid, I think I was very spiritual and I loved angels and spirits. And I had these very psychic experiences that I didn't have language for. So I didn't know that they were until I was older and was like, oh, I guess that's what that was. But I guess I got into this whole world professionally when I first started to become a full-time yoga instructor. And I've always been really connected to my body. I started dancing my whole life. So that was just like a very natural transition. I was I was hooked for the physical benefits of it. And this, you hear this so often between yoga instructors. They came in for the physical benefits and then they realized there's all these other bodies that we have. And I'm like such a good poster child for that. I went to India for a month. I went to Ayurvedic college. I became a Reiki master. Like I ate all of it up. So it was really my introduction to the physical body that got me into this. So what is Reiki? Reiki is an ancient technique that originated in Japan and it's an energy healing technique. The Rei, R-E-I, means universal, and Ki means life force energy. And so when you initiate this Reiki energy, it helps to bring healing to your energetic body, which also affects every other body, physical, mental, and emotional. It can break up our energetic blockages. Sometimes when people get Reiki attuned, because I have Reiki certification programs, and when they're going through that attunement process, you can even feel those pops that happen in your body. They break apart stagnation blocks that have been there for years. And what that can do is actually deeply affect if you have chronic conditions, which is very much one of my cases that I had after I got my Reiki 2 certification. I suffered from amenorrhea, which is a lack of menses. And after not receiving my menses for over three years, the day after I received my Reiki 2 attunement, I did. So it's 
things like that where it's like there's so much you can't really describe with a lot of these techniques except they're so ancient and powerful and they've been used for thousands of years they also once you get to a point of really clearing out these energetic blockages you connect to your intuition so people start to have these transcendental experiences they may get visions colors sounds feelings sensations and they're able to really develop their psychic awareness and that's what i'm super interested in and i I tend to get a lot of my clients are like that in my programs and they want to start using a lot of those intuitive gifts and bringing that to their own businesses so one of the words that comes up a lot in the work that you do when you hearken back to your past as well is intuitive and the word intuition. And for a lot of people, it's like, well, intuition, I, I kind of thought that might be a thing. That was my intuition. But you speak of it in such a deep way. So what is it exactly? And tell me a little bit about your experience with being intuitive from a young age. I think intuition is the highest form of intelligence. And I'm such a wisdom seeker. Like I just truly love being around elders and love learning from them because I think they have so much wisdom. And when I think about wisdom, I don't think about what you can read in a book, although I highly value that. And I'm always reading five different books at the same time. I think that this higher intelligence of wisdom is your intuition. It's that inner knowing that you have that can't be found in a book or learning from someone else, but you have to trust your own inner compass. And I guess the best way to describe it, I was trying to teach it to a kid the other day was, do you know that feeling you get in your belly, that gut feeling? You just know something, you know, you're maybe in the wrong place, or you know that it feels really good and this is the right thing for you, but it makes no sense at all. That's your intuition. It's that I can't describe it based on logistical terms of what we categorize in our culture. However, there's something within me that's strong and that's moving me. And I think we've all had those experiences in our lives where we thought we were going to be the lawyer, the doctor, and then for some odd reason, something within us was telling us to do a different direction, to start our own business, to pave our own path. And we listened to it for some reason. And we did that for a reason because it was just this strong pull that we have. So it shows up very specifically for different people. For me specifically, and a lot of healers, it'll first come in physical sensations. So it'll feel like that gut feeling of like, oh, this isn't the right spot for me. Or, you know, you go to a room and it's just like a bad vibe. Or you go into a new hotel or an Airbnb and you're like, something is not settling here. It's picking up on these subtleties and these energies. And so as you become more sensitive and you awaken to your intuition, you realize that you're taking in a lot of energy all the different times. And so it gets harder to get clear on what is yours, what is your intuition, and then what is the other things that you're picking up on. And there has to be a distinguishment and there has to be a consistent practice of being able to clear out the noise, the monkey mind, and come back to what is truth and what is your intuition and what, yeah, what is truth for you. And that really is what it gets exciting because it's so different for each person. And I really love how everyone can really celebrate how authentic they are and how this person's drawn to this thing. And it's totally not for that person, but it's totally made for them. So in my mind, I might have been thinking about intuition all along, but I've been calling it a heightened awareness. So one of the things yoga gave me was this heightened awareness of everything. And I think that's always been yoga's greatest gift was that it would make me super aware or in your words, intuitive uh, about the things around me and the things that plague me, the things that 
I need. And, and then from that, of course, I'll dovetail into, you know, what I'm putting into my body. And I'm going to get you to talk about Ayurveda in, in just a second. I love that. I think that awareness is the first step and the yogis will always say that. You have to be aware if you have an addiction, if you have a habit, that's the first subtlety of it. But as you go deeper into these layers, you realize that there's a whole other world of different awareness. Like you said, you could be aware of your physical body, which to me is the first key to accessing your intuition. And then the second key is mental and then an emotional body. And it gets more subtle and subtler. And then you get into these psychic gifts where you can see things. So it kind of depends like how far you want to go into this thing, but it's really fun to play with. So I had never really heard of Kundalini until I'd heard it being mentioned from Rachel McAdams. Oh my gosh, really? She mentioned it? That's awesome. In a chance encounter that I had with her. But what is it? So Kundalini is an energy that lives all within us. And the metaphor that the yogis use is it's this serpent that lives at the bottom of our spine. And they use serpent energy, which I know can feel scary for a lot of people in our culture, at least like people stray away from snakes, but snakes represent transformation and snakes represent intuition and transformation because how often they shed that skin and they create a new one. And we too, as humans, just as we shed a lot of our identities each month with the moon, new moon and the full moon, we let go of different parts of our ego consistently all the time. And then, you know, of course, we actually lose physical people in this world where we attach so much of our identity to them that there's constant transformation that's always happening. So it's such a pivotal metaphor, this serpent that lies dormant at the base of our spine. We all have it within us, but it's this like potential of endless energy that we have. And some of us use it, some of us don't. It just lies dormant. That's it. And some of us just live in this world, in this physical world where it's food, money, body, and that's all we see. That's the only awareness, which is a fine place to live. I think everyone's on their own journey. And then when you start to really activate the Kundalini energy, that serpent coils up your spine and it activates these different energy centers called the chakras that are connected to the mind, the body, the physical body, physiological systems. It it gives us this way to really understand all these bodies and how they work together. And so this, when this energy is activated by using Kundalini yoga, it can clear out a lot of old patterns that we have and again, it can awaken your intuition. So, you know, all these ancient traditions, Reiki, Ayurveda, and Kudalini, you can see they're very telling, very similar things, but just kind of in their own way. And it's kind of fun to work in their own way. And Kundalini, it's its own form of yoga, but it's the most ancient form of yoga. You know, in the West, we've really segmented yoga to be, this is yoga nidra, this is vinyasa yoga, this is hatha yoga, this is Kundalini yoga, this is breathwork and meditation, because we don't, quote unquote, have the time. So, you know, you'll see, especially in LA, it's like, here's your breathwork class, your meditation class, there's Kundalini. But originally how it was taught in India, and this is what I was trained in, was just yoga. You did all of them all in one practice. You can't put them in boxes. It was just was the whole thing. And specifically Kundalini really encapsulates, I think, the most ancient form of yoga because it works with this infinite potential that we have within us. Have you practiced Kundalini before? No. I wonder how you would feel after. It's probably the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done a lot of weird things. But some of the classes that I'll take, you're like, this is so beyond. And it's some of the most challenging classes that I've taken, not necessarily 
physically in my body because I've done a lot of physical things and exercises I love to do. But the mental and physical combination of it all is truly something that could put you up against the most resistance. So you mentioned a number of different types of yoga. You left out yin, which is one that I go to at least once a week. Give me a yoga pose or even one that you did in yin that, that you may have held for a while that made you cry. That's interesting. I'm trying to think about earlier in my practice because I know I did have those emotional experiences when I was in yoga. And that's why I loved it so much. It was able to really get me to feel my emotions. And I'll have to say that I don't use my vinyasa or physical practice in that way anymore. I access my emotions with other modalities, but I think the hips are a huge way in which we store emotions and you'll hear that a lot in yoga and the science behind it is so great. And I am not an expert in science. So, you know, anyone who is, who's listening to this, this is just what I've pieced together when I've learned from other people who are experts, but specifically the hip flexors in the psoas major, which are in the front part of the hips, there's all these nerve bundles that are there and we store emotions there. Just think about it when we're sitting in a chair, which is majority of us in our jobs, the psoas major in that hip flexor is actually tense and it's actually freezing up. And so when we're dealing with all the stress at our job and we're sitting there, it's like just constantly being pulled there. So in a lot of yoga practices, like yin especially, there's these lot of hip openers because we can really start to release a lot of this energy. And it feels really good because you're able and you're like, why am I crying right now? I understand. And I love that because, you know, you don't have to necessarily know why you're accessing that emotion. It just is there in the body and it's ready to release. I will say also heart openers are just massive. I think that that is one of the most powerful postures to do and one of my favorites. I've heard before that our backside of the body represents our past. And so I think by just doing heart openers and strengthening the back muscles particularly really helps us to release a lot of things and to let go of things that we've been holding on to for a really long time. So I've noticed that they're very stimulating, but I've noticed that has exposed my students the most in yoga classes is doing heart openers and big ones like camel and wheel pose. And even probably for myself, that's probably where I've experienced the most emotional release. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. 
If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. You may also like Supports Podcasting 2.0, so feel free to send us a boost if you are listening on a newer podcast app. If you don't have one, you can see a full list of them at newpodcastapps.com. Tell me about the doshas. So the doshas are energy types. That's how I like to call them. And they're a way to really understand how each person was given a unique mind and body and spirit. And this is one of the most important tenets in Ayurveda. I shouldn't say most important, but this is where people really start to understand Ayurveda. And that's because we understand it through ourselves and we love learning things like I don't know if you've heard about human design before. It's all the rage. And so it's, you know, knowing your energy type and same thing with the doshas. Like everyone wants to know who they are and they love astrology. So it's another way to under identify how each person has a unique mind, body, and spirit. Now, when you have that dosha, dosha actually translates to imbalance. So you not only have a unique combination of these three doshas that are signified in Ayurveda, they're pitta, kapha, and vata. We all are made up of all three, just in varying proportions. You'll find that some people are very more of the fiery type, and we call these pitta, meaning goal-oriented, focused, motivated, clear, direct, passionate, see a goal and a vision, going to follow through it all the way through. Physically in the body, they'll build muscle really easily. They'll have higher metabolisms. And then there's people who relate to more of the vata dosha and they are more thin framed. They have a very expansive mind. So very much the artists and the creators of the world. And they tend to be very free spirited and kind of like living life on the seat of their pants. They very much fly from one thing to the next. Don't really like the organization and structure as much. They really love and nurture their creativity. And similarly in their bodies really translates to this light energy where they'll have thinner frames. It'll be difficult for them to gain weight. And overall, they're just this very inspiring experience exciting creatures. And then we have our kappas who tend to be the nurturers. They're the mom of the group or the dad of the group. They like to take care of everyone. They love to guide everyone. They like schedule. They like routine. They like to go according to plan if it doesn't, you know, not really their vibe. And physically in their body, this translates into having very grounding features. So sometimes it could have bigger bones. It could be maybe holding on to weight more easily, having bigger features like in their eyes. And I'm just really briefly going through these doshas. There's a whole world behind them and you can get very clinical into them too and understanding how this affects different types of organs and physiological systems. That's how deep Ayurveda goes. But just to kind of give you a taste, I think for the audience is helpful to understand how you may relate to them. Now, again, you're all three of them. So if you're like a kind of related to all three in a way, it's true. But primarily a lot of people relate to one dosha is having a dominant one. And then we also relate to having a dual dosha. So some you could be like, eh, I'm pretty equal vata kappa or pitta vata. Now, where people I think are the most confused is that's your constitution. That doesn't change. That combination was given to you when you were got out of your mother's womb. However, we go through different imbalances throughout our life. There's times in our life where maybe we've gained weight and it's been difficult to lose. There's time in our life where we've had a lot of inflammation and maybe a chronic condition flared up. And there's time in our life where we may have symptoms like insomnia and anxiety and overwhelm. Well, that is called what your current imbalance is. And that can be a different dosha than you may relate to as your dominant dosha. It's not always. It's actually 
more the tendency I see is if you're a Pitta, you tend to go in that direction of being out of balance in Pitta because like likes like and like increases like. So Pittas, they love fiery, spicy foods, but, you know, it can cause more inflammation. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, however, you know, we're in the winter months now, and it's always about working with the current energy. So the doshas also represent the seasons. So Pitta is summer season. Right now, we're in the fall season. It's Vata. So it's tend to be a little bit cooler depending where you're at. I mean, I'm in LA and we're still getting these like random 80 degree days. And I'm not complaining because I know it's already snowing in the Midwest, but when you want those warm drinks and spices and things that you can't have in the summertime, you still have to be careful about having that. So it's all about balancing the energies, again, working with the energies and understanding them. And it's so intuitive in the way of we're already doing this. You know, you could see this with everyone being obsessed with pumpkin spice anything during this time of year because that's actually best for your digestive system that tends to go a little bit slower because it's colder outside. So I love the fact that you mentioned that we're moving into Vata season and you helped me out immensely this summer when we were in Pitta season, some of the foods I needed to eat to sort of cool down a little bit more on, you know, cucumbers and, and cooling and less spicy and avoiding the peppers and, and creating that, that, that wonderful balance. I believe you have a dosha quiz on your website, right? Yes, I do. If you sign up for my newsletter, then you'll be able to find out what your dosha is. That's phenomenal. What's your website again? Angelica, A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A, Rose Neary, and is a Nancy, E-R-I.com. And then you'll see there's a lot of free resources just kind of depending on what you're looking for. And one of the uh, podcast episodes that I listened to this summer talked a little bit about veganism and, and sobriety and your relationship with it and sometimes without it. So can you talk a little bit about you know changes that get made to diet? Yeah, I think that our culture is very obsessed with diet and I'm definitely guilty of that too. You know, like I, I think it's so interesting and fascinating. I love food. I love cooking and I'm so always looking for the foods that could be best for my specific body type, which I think is so interesting. And I think a lot of people are interested in this. I led an Ayurvedic dinner party in LA last week. It was so great. And I did all around Vata season. And then I created the main dish so that everyone could customize it based on what their dosha was. And that's what feels really empowering. It's like, you know, even if I'm making dinner for my family, there's different ways that I can toppings and spices that I could put on it so that it actually works for my body's chemistry. And then I can feel really good after I don't feel full, sluggish, heated, whatever. It's all good. So I love that aspect to it. But for me, and those who tend to be more of the pitta type, we can get obsessed with things, right? We can get so attached to it, where it then becomes like, oh, I'm only focused on what I'm eating, and it has to be perfect. And I definitely had that projection onto Ayurveda when I learned it, where I think I thought I was a monk at one time. Like I, I was meditating for three hours every morning I and on top of that yoga and then all my Ayurvedic rituals. And then I wouldn't watch TV. I didn't watch TV for like two years. I didn't drink alcohol within those two years. And then I wanted to be pure and clean and be a quote unquote, the best healer. And I was, you know, really good at putting that image out there. And then I really had to check in. And over time, I realized I really sucked the joy out of everything. And I wasn't being a human anymore. And I was actually unrelatable. Like, I'm not some guru in the Himalayas who's meditating every day. Like I'm a human who lives in a major city who also really enjoys food and glass of wine and going out and dancing with friends. And I really stripped myself of a lot of joy. So this year has really been a practice of getting back to 
meeting myself where I'm at. And I don't even know if my goal is ever to get to that point ever again. I don't think that that's true to who I am. I think part of why I'm sharing this ancient wisdom is to show you that you can do it in a way that's very practical and you could still be human and have fun with it. So recently this year, one of the ways I started playing around with this, I was vegan for 10 years and I started eating meat again. I was just honestly craving it. So that, that's another way that your intuition comes on where I say this on my podcast. I don't know if you listened to that episode. It was so funny, but I literally started dreaming of eating fish at first. And I was like, okay, once my dreams tell me things, my dreams are always very clear and vivid. I know I have to follow them. So that was a fun journey going into it. And now my body is just responding so well to me. And I've been looking into a lot of the science and the studies, and there's this whole wave of, um, I think, reclaiming our ownership over eating meat in a way that can be sustainable and in a way that is actually, you know, I want to try lightly here because I know there's a lot of morals and systems behind it and not pushing anyone to be any way or but, but I've actually read that it's not as bad for the environment as the other things that we are doing that we can focus our energy elsewhere and actually be more productive. So that for me was like a huge thing too, because there was a whole moral system that was following. So it's been really awesome just to like, expand my diet again too. And also just to feel really good in my body and stable. I didn't realize when you are on a vegan diet, you know, fruit is like 50% of your diet. And especially for women that could really spike your glucose levels and bring you on a roller coaster of just craving sweets all of the time. And in Ayurveda, one of the ways that we balance the body and ground the body is by incorporating the sweet taste, which we actually get from meats. So what I've really found in my body and my journey with healing my hormones is that incorporating meats has been very, very helpful for that. So I've been really grateful for that lesson. It's it's also just been nice to enjoy meals with my family again. I come from an Italian family, so you can only imagine what these past 10 years like have been being a vegan. So that's been really great too. And then, yeah, alcohol too. I realized I didn't have a problem with it either. I think there's this whole sober movement that's happening, maybe just in my small bubble in LA, I'm seeing it more and I love it. You know, it's not like I have to go out every time and drink, but I realized again, it was another extremist thing that I was doing and I love enjoying or going out for a night and drinking alcohol and having fun. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm done with that for a little while, but I'm so happy I had those moments and I felt like a human again and I didn't have to restrict myself. And even though in the back of my mind, I was like, I really want this and to have fun. So I don't think that that's, again, these are like slippery slopes, right? But I don't think it has to be black or white for anyone. And who knows if I'm, I'm going to be drinking alcohol for the rest of my life. But I think it's always important to feel what's true for you in that moment, even if you feel like that's not the best or the perfect version of it, just to be really honest of what you want. You feel like a healer's healer, like you're a healer to the healers. But at the same time, I, I don't consider myself a healer, but I can identify with a number of the things you talk about and I connect with your podcast, you know, in that manner. So who ideally do you work with? I am a healer's healer. And it's so funny because when I say that, and then when I first start working with clients, they're like, well, I'm not a healer. And I really just think anyone who's on a quest of, you know, seeking more information about their body and wanting to feel good in their body is a healer. I always had like a whole journey with that term as well. But I, I typically work with a lot of women and just a small percentage of men working on, of course, connecting to their body, but those who are really deeply interested in spirituality and connecting to their intuition. Because I really love talking about the really esoteric stuff and everything that we talked about today. And I want people who are really seeking to go 
deep into those. So I work with a lot of healers and especially healers who are just wanting to start their businesses and are really just laying down their foundations and wanting some guidance, wanting some spark and accountability and inspiration. That's like my favorite place to be because it's such an exciting time. You have all these different passions that are coming in, you're accruing your certifications and what better than to bring your gifts, what you were meant to do on earth and bring them to everyone else. I think I'm off to go find a Kundalini class to participate in. Yes, please do. I can't wait to hear what your experience is like. I'm so grateful that you listen and are so open to this. That's so awesome. My thanks to Angelica Neary for joining me on the show. Her show is called the Divine Feminine Healers Podcast. Give it a follow and it's everywhere you would expect to find podcasts. I also put links to her website where you can connect further. They're in the show notes and at youmayalsolike.net. This episode was produced by Evan Serminski and edited by Aiden Glassy and built for your ears by everyone at the Sound Off Media Company. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.